Section 41 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3, by James Boswell. Section 41. A gentleman has informed me that Johnson said of the same person, Sir, he has the most inverted understanding of any man whom I have ever known. On Friday, April the 2nd, being Good Friday, I visited him in the morning, as usual, and, finding that we insensibly fell into a train of ridicule upon the foibles of one of our friends, a very worthy man, I, by way of a check, quoted some good admonition from the government of the tongue, that very pious book. It happened also, remarkably enough, that the subject of the sermon preached to us today by Dr. Burroughs, the rector of St. Clement Danes, was the certainty that at the last day we must give an account of the deeds done in the body, and amongst various acts of culpability he mentioned evil speaking. As we were moving slowly along in the crowd from church, Johnson jogged my elbow and said, Did you attend to the sermon? Yes, sir, said I, it was very applicable to us. He, however, stood upon the defensive. Why, sir, the sense of ridicule is given us, and may be lawfully used. Footnote. Yes, I am proud. I must be proud to see men not afraid of God, afraid of me. Safe from the bar, the pulpit and the throne, yet touched and shamed by ridicule alone. O sacred weapon, left for truth's defence, sole dread of folly, vice and insolence. End of footnote. The author of The Government of the Tongue would have us treat all men alike. In the interval between morning and evening service, he endeavoured to employ himself earnestly in devotional exercises, as he has mentioned in his Prayers and Meditations. Gave me les pensées de Pascal, that I might not interrupt him. I preserve the book with reverence. His presenting it to me is marked upon it with his own hand, and I have found in it a truly divine unction. We went to church again in the afternoon. Footnote. At eleven o'clock that night, Johnson recorded, I am now to review the last year, and find little but dismal vacuity, neither business nor pleasure, much intended and little done. My health is much broken, my nights afford me little rest. Last week I published The Lives of the Poets, written, I hope, in such a manner as may tend to the promotion of piety. In this last year I have made little acquisition. I have scarcely read anything. I maintain Mrs. Dash, des Moulins, and her daughter. Other good of myself I know not where to find except a little charity. End of footnote. On Saturday, April the 3rd, I visited him at night, 
and found him sitting in mrs williams's room with her and one who he afterwards told me was a natural son of the second lord southwell footnote mauritius low the painter End of footnote. the table had a singular appearance being covered with a heterogeneous assemblage of oysters and porter for his company and tea for himself i mentioned my having heard an eminent physician who was himself a christian argue in favour of universal toleration and maintain that no man could be hurt by another man's differing from him in opinion johnson sir you are to a certain degree hurt by knowing that even one man does not believe on easter day after solemn service at st paul's i dined with him mr allen the printer was also his guest he was uncommonly silent and i have not written down anything except a single curious fact which having the sanction of his inflexible veracity may be received as a striking instance of human insensibility and inconsideration as he was passing by a fishmonger who was skinning an eel alive he heard him curse it because it would not lie still footnote cry to it knuckle as the cock needed to the eels when she put him in the paste alive she knapped em o'er the coxcombs with a stick and cried down wantons down king lear act two scene four end of footnote on wednesday april seventh i dined with him at sir joshua reynolds's i have not marked what company was there johnson harangued upon the qualities of different liquors and spoke with great contempt of claret as so weak that a man would be drowned by it before it made him drunk he was persuaded to drink one glass of it that he might judge not from recollection which might be dim but from immediate sensation he shook his head and said poor stuff no sir claret is the liquor for boys port for men but he who aspires to be a hero smiling must drink brandy in the first place the flavour of brandy is most grateful to the palate and then brandy will do soonest for a man what drinking can do for him there are indeed few who are able to drink brandy that is a power rather to be wished for than attained and yet proceeded he as in all pleasure hope is a considerable part i know not but fruition comes too quick by brandy florence wine i think the worst it is wine only to the eye it is wine neither while you are drinking it nor after you have drunk it it neither pleases the taste nor exhilarates the spirits i reminded him how heartily he and i used to drink wine together when we were first acquainted and how i used to have a headache after sitting up with him he did not like to have this recalled or perhaps thinking that i boasted improperly resolved to have a witty stroke at me nay sir it was not the wine that made your head ache but the sense that i put into it boswell what sir what 
little sense make the headache johnson yes sir with a smile when it is not used to it no man who has a true relish of pleasantry could be offended at this especially if johnson in a long intimacy had given him repeated proofs of his regard and good estimation i used to say that as he had given me a thousand pounds in praise he had a good right now and then to take a guinea from me on thursday april the eighth i dined with him at mr allan ramsay's with lord graham and some other company Footnote. marquis of graham afterwards third duke of montrose in the rolliad he is thus attacked superior to abuse he nobly glories in the name of goose such geese at rome from the perfidious gaul preserved the treasury bench and capitol he was one of the lords of the treasury End of footnote. we talked of shakespeare's witches johnson they are beings of his own creation they are a compound of malignity and meanness without any abilities and are quite different from the italian magician king james says in his demonology magicians command the devils witches are their servants the italian magicians are elegant beings ramsay opera witches not drury lane witches johnson observed that abilities might be employed in a narrow sphere as in getting money which he said he believed no man could do without vigorous parts though concentrated to a point footnote johnson however when telling mrs thrale that in case of her husband's death she ought to carry on his business said do not be frighted trade could not be managed by those who manage it if it had much difficulty their great books are soon understood and their language if speech it may be called that speech is none distinguishable in number mood or tense is understood with no very laborious application End of footnote. Ramsey yes like a strong horse in a mill he pulls better lord graham while he praised the beauty of loch lomond on the banks of which is his family seat complained of the climate and said he could not bear it johnson nay my lord don't talk so you may bear it well enough your ancestors have borne it more years than i can tell this was a handsome compliment to the antiquity of the house of montrose his lordship told me afterwards that he had only affected to complain of the climate lest if he had spoken as favourably of his country as he really thought dr johnson might have attacked it johnson was very courteous to lady margaret macdonald madam said he when i was in the isle of skye i heard of the people running to take stones off the road lest lady margaret's horse should stumble lord graham commended dr drummond at naples as a man of extraordinary talents 
and added that he had a great love of liberty johnson he is young my lord looking to his lordship with an arch smile all boys love liberty till experience convinces them that they are not so fit to govern themselves as they imagined we are all agreed as to our own liberty we would have as much of it as we can get but we are not agreed as to the liberty of others for in proportion as we take others must lose i believe we hardly wish that the mob should have the liberty to govern us when that was the case some time ago no man was at liberty not to have candles in his windows ramsay the result is that order is better than confusion johnson the result is that order cannot be had but by subordination on friday april the sixteenth i had been present at the trial of the unfortunate mr hackman who in a fit of frantic jealous love had shot miss ray the favourite of a nobleman footnote the earl of sandwich first lord of the admiralty with whom she lived seventeen years and by whom she had nine children the duke of richmond attacked her in the house of lords as one who was supposed to sell favours in the admiralty for money it so happened that on the day on which hackman was hanged fox moved for the removal of lord sandwich from office but was beaten by a large majority one of her children was basil montague the editor of bacon carlyle writes of him on going to hinchinbrook i found he was strikingly like the dissolute questionable earl of sandwich who indeed had been father of him in a highly tragic way hackman who was a clergyman of the church had once been in the army End of footnote. johnson in whose company i dined to-day with some other friends was much interested by my account of what passed and particularly with his prayer for the mercy of heaven footnote. on the following monday boswell was present at hackman's execution riding to tyburn with him in a morning coach End of footnote. he said in a solemn fervid tone i hope he shall find mercy this day a violent altercation arose between johnson and beauclerc which having made much noise at the time i think it proper in order to prevent any future misrepresentation to give a minute account of it in talking of hackman johnson argued as judge blackstone had done that his being furnished with two pistols was a proof that he meant to shoot two persons mr beauclerc said no for that every wise man who intended to shoot himself took two pistols that he might be sure of doing it at once lord dash's cook shot himself with one pistol and lived ten days in great agony mr dash who loved buttered muffins but durst not eat them because they disagreed with his stomach resolved to shoot himself and then he ate three buttered muttons for breakfast before shooting himself 
knowing that he should not be troubled with indigestion. Footnote. This gentleman, who loved buttered muffins, appears in Pickwick, as the man who killed himself on principle after eating three shillings worth of crumpets. Mr. Crocus says that Mr. Fitzherbert is meant, but he hanged himself. End of footnote. He had two charged pistols. One was found lying upon the table by him after he had shot himself with the other. Well, said Johnson, with an air of triumph, you see here one pistol was sufficient. Beauclerc replied smartly, because it happened to kill him, and either then or a little afterwards, being piqued at Johnson's triumphant remark, added, this is what you don't know, and I do. There was then a cessation of the dispute, and some minutes intervened, during which dinner and the glass went on cheerfully, when Johnson suddenly and abruptly exclaimed, Mr. Beauclerc, how came you to talk so petulantly to me as, this is what you don't know, but what I know? One thing I know, which you don't seem to know, that you are very uncivil. Beauclerc, because you began by being uncivil, which you always are. The words in parenthesis were, I believe, not heard by Dr. Johnson. Here again there was a cessation of arms. Johnson told me that the reason why he waited at first some time without taking any notice of what Mr. Beauclerc said was because he was thinking whether he should resent it. But when he considered that there were present a young lord and an eminent traveller, two men of the world with whom he had never dined before, he was apprehensive that they might think they had a right to take such liberties with him as Beauclerc did, and therefore resolved he would not let it pass, adding that he would not appear a coward. A little while after this, the conversation turned on the violence of Hackman's temper. Johnson then said it was his business to command his temper as my friend Mr. Beauclerc should have done some time ago. Beauclerc. I should learn of you, sir. Johnson. Sir, you have given me opportunities enough of learning when I have been in your company. No man loves to be treated with contempt. Beauclerc, with a polite inclination towards Johnson. Sir, you have known me twenty years, and however I may have treated others, you may be sure I could never treat you with contempt. Johnson, sir, you have said more than was necessary. Thus it ended, and Beauclerc's coach, not having come for him till very late, Dr. Johnson and another gentleman sat with him a long time after the rest of the company were gone and he and I dined at Beauclair's on the Saturday sennight following. After this tempest had subsided, I recollect the following particulars of his conversation. I am always forgetting a boy forward in his learning, but that is a sure good. 
i would let him at first read any english book which happens to engage his attention because you have done a great deal when you have brought him to have entertainment from a book he'll get better books afterwards footnote it is not impossible that this restless desire of novelty which gives so much trouble to the teacher may often be the struggle of the understanding starting from that to which it is not by nature adapted and travelling in search of something on which it may fix with greater satisfaction for without supposing each man particularly marked out by his genius for particular performances it may be easily conceived that when a numerous class of boys is confined indiscriminately to the same forms of composition the repetition of the same words or the explication of the same sentiments the employment must either by nature or accident be less suitable to some than others weariness looks out for relief and leisure for employment and surely it is rational to indulge the wanderings of both End of footnote. mallet i believe never wrote a single line of his projected life of the duke of marlborough footnote. mallet had the impudence to write to hume that the book was ready for the press which adds hume is more than i or most people expected End of footnote he groped for materials and thought of it till he had exhausted his mind thus it sometimes happens that men entangle themselves in their own schemes to be contradicted in order to force you to talk is mighty unpleasing you shine indeed but it is by being ground of a gentleman who had made some figure among the literati of his time mr fitzherbert he said what eminence he had was by a felicity of manner he had no more learning than what he could not help on saturday april the twenty fourth i dined with him at mr beauclerc's with sir joshua reynolds mr jones afterwards sir william mr langton mr stevens mr paradise and dr higgins i mentioned that mr wilkes had attacked garrick to me as a man who had no friend i believe he is right sir greek oifeloi oufelos he had friends but no friend Garrick was so diffused he had no man to whom he wished to unbosom himself. He found people always ready to applaud him, and that always for the same thing. So he saw life with great uniformity. I took it upon me for once to fight with Goliath's weapons and play the sophist. Garrick did not need a friend as he got from everybody all he wanted what is a friend one who supports you and comforts you while others do not friendship you know sir is the cordial drop to make the nauseous draught of life go down footnote 
love the most generous passion of the mind the softest refuge innocence can find the safe director of unguided youth fraught with kind wishes and secured by truth that cordial drop heaven in our cup has thrown to make the nauseous draught of life go down wilmot earl of rochester refers to these lines if after all we must with wilmot own the cordial drop of life is love alone End of footnote. but if the draught be not nauseous if it be all sweet there is no occasion for that drop johnson many men would not be content to live so i hope i should not they would wish to have an intimate friend with whom they might compare minds and cherish private virtues one of the company mentioned lord chesterfield as a man who had no friend johnson there were more materials to make friendship in garrick had he not been so diffused boswell garrick was pure gold but beat out to thin leaf lord chesterfield was tinsel johnson garrick was a very good man the cheerfullest man of his age a decent liver in a profession which is supposed to give indulgence to licentiousness and a man who gave away freely money acquired by himself he began the world with a great hunger for money the son of a half-pay officer bred in a family whose study was to make fourpence do as much as others made fourpence halfpenny do but when he had got money he was very liberal i presume to animadvert on his eulogy on garrick in his lives of the poets you say sir his death eclipsed the gaiety of nations johnson i could not have said more nor less it is the truth eclipsed not extinguished and his death did eclipse it was like a storm boswell but why nations did his gaiety extend farther than his own nation johnson why sir some exaggeration must be allowed besides nations may be said if we allow the scotch to be a nation and to have gaiety which they have not you are an exception though come gentlemen let us candidly admit that there is one scotchman who is cheerful beauclerc but he is a very unnatural scotchman i however continued to think the compliment to garrick hyperbolically untrue his acting had ceased some time before his death at any rate he had acted in ireland but a short time at an early period of his life and never in scotland i objected also to what appears an anticlimax of praise when contrasted with the preceding panegyric and diminished the public stock of harmless pleasure is not harmless pleasure very tame johnson nay sir harmless pleasure is the highest praise pleasure is a word of dubious import pleasure is in general 
dangerous and pernicious to virtue to be able therefore to furnish pleasure that is harmless pleasure pure and unalloyed is as great a power as man can possess this was perhaps as ingenious a defence as could be made still however i was not satisfied a celebrated wit being mentioned footnote certainly not horace walpole as had been suggested to mr croker he and johnson can scarcely be said to have known each other a sentence in one of walpole's letters shows that he was very unlike the french wit on september the twenty second seventeen sixty five he wrote from paris the french affect philosophy literature and free thinking the first never did and never will possess me of the two others i have long been tired free thinking is for oneself surely not for society perhaps richard fitzpatrick is meant who later on joined in writing the rolliad and who was the cousin and sworn brother of charles fox walpole describes him as an agreeable young man of parts and mentions his genteel irony and badinage he was lord shelburne's brother-in-law at whose house johnson might have met him as well as in fox's company there are one or two lines in the rolliad which border on profanity rogers said that fitzpatrick was at one time nearly as famous for his wit as hare tickle in his epistle from the honourable charles fox to the honourable john townsend writes oft shall fitzpatrick's wit and stanhope's ease and burgoyne's manly sense unite to please he said one may say of him as was said of a french wit il n'a de l'esprit que contre dieu i have been several times in company with him but never perceived any strong power of wit he produces a general effect by various means he has a cheerful countenance and a gay voice besides his trade is wit it would be as wild in him to come into company without merriment as for a highwayman to take the road without his pistols talking of the effects of drinking he said drinking may be practised with great prudence a man who exposes himself when he is intoxicated has not the art of getting drunk a sober man who happens occasionally to get drunk readily enough goes into a new company which a man who has been drinking should never do such a man will undertake anything he is without skill in inebriation i used to slink home when i had drunk too much man accustomed to self-examination will be conscious when he is drunk though an habitual drunkard will not be conscious of it i knew a physician who for twenty years was not sober yet in a pamphlet which he wrote upon fevers he appealed to garrick and me for his vindication from a charge of drunkenness 
a bookseller naming him who got a large fortune by trade was so habitually and equably drunk that his most intimate friends never perceived that he was more sober at one time than another talking of celebrated and successful irregular practices in physic he said taylor was the most ignorant man i ever knew but sprightly footnote the chevalier taylor ophthalmiato pontifical imperial and royal as he styled himself lord eldon said that taylor dining with the barristers upon the oxford circuit having related many wonderful things which he had done was asked by beercroft pray chevalier as you have told us of a great many things which you have done and can do will you be so good as to try to tell us anything which you cannot do nothing so easy replied taylor i cannot pay my share of the dinner bill and that sir i must beg of you to do End of footnote. Ward, the dullest. Footnote. Pope mentions Ward in the imitations of Horace. He served apprenticeship who sets up shop. Ward tried on puppies and the poor his drop. Fielding in Tom Jones says that interest is indeed a most excellent medicine and like ward's pill flies at once to the particular part of the body on which you desire to operate in the introduction to the voyage to lisbon he speaks very highly of ward's remedies and of ward himself who endeavoured he says to serve me without any expectation or desire of fee or reward End of footnote taylor challenged me once to talk latin with him laughing i quoted some of horace which he took to be part of my own speech he said a few words well enough but clear i remember sir you said that taylor was an instance how far impudence could carry ignorance mr beauclerc was very entertaining this day and told us a number of short stories in a lively elegant manner and with that air of the world which has i know not what impressive effect as if there was something more than is expressed or than perhaps we could perfectly understand footnote everything said johnson comes from beauclerc so easily it appears to me that i labour when i say a good thing Dr. A. Carlyle mentions another great-grandson of Charles II, Commissioner Cardinal, who was the most agreeable companion that ever was. He excelled in storytelling, like his great-grandfather Charles II, but he seldom or ever repeated them. End of footnote. As Johnson and I accompanied Sir Joshua Reynolds in his coach, Johnson said, there is in Beauclair a predominance over his company that one does not like, but he is a man who has lived so much in the world that he has a short story on every occasion. He is always ready to talk and is never exhausted. 
johnson and i passed the evening at miss reynolds's sir joshua's sister i mentioned that an eminent friend of ours footnote no doubt burke end of footnote talking of the common remark that affection descends said that this was wisely contrived for the preservation of mankind for which it was not so necessary that there should be affection from children to parents as from parents to children nay there will be no harm in that view though children should at a certain age eat their parents johnson but sir if this were known generally to be the case parents would not have affection for children boswell true sir for it is an expectation of a return that parents are so attentive to their children and i know a very pretty instance of a little girl of whom her father was very fond who once when he was in a melancholy fit and had gone to bed persuaded him to rise in good humour by saying my dear papa please to get up and let me help you on with your clothes that i may learn to do it when you are an old man soon after this time a little incident occurred which i will not suppress because i am desirous that my work should be as much as is consistent with the strictest truth an antidote to the false and injurious notions of his character which have been given by others and therefore i infuse every drop of genuine sweetness into my biographical cup end of section forty one